Chapter Thirteen of the Dark Other. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Maxwell. The Dark Other by Stanley G. Weinbaum. Chapter Thirteen. Indecision. Pat turned the envelope dubiously in her hands, while a maze of chaotic thoughts assailed her. She felt almost a sensation of guilt, as if she were in some manner violating the promise given to Dr. Horker. She felt a twinge of indignation that Nicholas Devine should dare communicate with her at all, and she felt, too, that queer exultation, an inexplicable pleasure, a feeling of secret triumph. She slipped a letter in the pocket of her robe and padded quietly up the stairs to her own room. Strangely, her loneliness had vanished. The great house, empty now save for herself and Magda in the distant kitchen, was no longer a place of solitude. The discovery of the letter, whatever its contents, had changed the deserted rooms into chambers teeming with her own excitements, trepidations, doubts, and hopes. Even hopes, she admitted to herself, though hopes of what nature she was quite unable to say. What could Nick write that had the power to change things? Apologies? Pleas? Promises? None of these could alter the naked, horrible facts of the predicament. Nevertheless, she was almost to tremble with expectation as she skipped hastily into her own room, carefully closed the door, and settled herself by the west windows. She drew the letter from her pocket, and then, with a tightening of her throat, tore open the envelope, slipping out the several pages of scrawled paper. Avidly she began to read. "'I don't know whether you'll ever see this,' the missive began without salutation." and I'll not blame you, Pat dear, if you do return it unopened. There's nothing that you can do that wouldn't be justified, nor can you think worse of me than I do of myself, and that's a statement so meaningless that even as I wrote it I could anticipate its effect on you. Pat, how am I going to convince you that I'm sincere? Will you believe me when I write that I love you? Can you believe that I love you tenderly, worshipfully, reverently? You can't. I know you can't after that catastrophe of last night, but it's true, Pat, though the logic of a Spinoza might fail to convince you of it. I don't know how to write you this. I don't know whether you want to hear what I could say, but I know that I must try to say it. Not apologies, Pat. I shouldn't dare approach you for so poor a reason as that, but a sort of explanation. You more than anyone in the world are entitled to that explanation if you want to hear it. I can't write it to you, Pat. It's something I can only make you believe by telling you, something dark and rather terrible. But please, dear, believe that I mean you no harm, and that I plan no subterfuge when I suggest that you see me. It will be, I think, for the last time. Tonight and tomorrow night, and as many nights to follow as I can, I'll sit on a bench in the park near the place where I kissed you that first time. There will be people passing there and cars driving by. You need fear nothing from me. I choose the place to bridle my own actions, Pat. Nothing can happen while we sit there in the view of the world. To write you more than this is futile. If you come, I'll be there. If you don't, I'll understand. I love you. The letter was signed merely Nick. She stared at the signature with feelings so confused that she forbore any attempt to analyze them. But I can't go, she mused soberly. I've promised Dr. Carl. Or at least, I can't go without telling him. 
That last thought, she realized, was a concession. Heretofore she hadn't let herself consider the possibility of seeing Nicholas Devine again, and now suddenly she was weakening, arguing with herself about the ethics of seeing him. She shook her head decisively. Won't do, Patricia Lane, she told herself. Next thing you'll be slipping away without a word to anybody and coming home with two black eyes and a broken nose. Won't do at all. She dropped her eyes to the letter. Explanations, she reflected. I guess Dr. Carl would give up a hole in one to hear that explanation. And I'd give more than that. She shook her head regretfully. Nothing to do about it, though. I promised. The sun was slanting through the west windows. She sat watching the shadows lengthen in the room and tried to turn her thoughts into more profitable channels. This was the first Sunday in many months that she had spent alone in the house. It was a custom for herself and her mother to spend the afternoon at the club. The evening, too, as a rule, there was invariably bridge for Mrs. Lane, and Pat was always the center of a circle of the younger members. She wondered dreamily what the crowd thought of her non-appearance, reflecting that her mother had doubtless enlarged on Dr. Carl's story of an accident. Dr. Carl wouldn't say much, simply that he'd ordered her to stay at home. But sooner or later Nick would hear the accident story. She wondered what he'd think of it. She caught herself up sharply. My ideas wander in circles, she thought petulantly. No matter where I start, they curve around back to Nick. It won't do. I've got to stop it. Nearly time for the evening meal, she mused, watching the sun as it dropped behind Dr. Horker's house. She didn't feel much like eating. There was still a remnant of the exhausted, dragged-out sensation, though the headache that had accompanied her awakening this morning had disappeared. I know what the morning after feels like anyway, she reflected with a wry little smile. Everybody ought to experience it once, I suppose. I wonder how Nick... She broke off abruptly, with a shrug of disgust. She slipped the letter back into its envelope, rose, and deposited it in the drawer of the night table. She glanced at the clock ticking on its shiny top. Six o'clock, she murmured. Nick would be sitting in the park in another two hours or so. She had a twinge of sympathy at the thought of his lone vigil. She could visualize the harried expression on his face when the hours passed without her arrival. Can't be helped, she told herself. He's no right to ask for anything of me after last night. He knows that. He said so in his letter. She suppressed an impulse to reread that letter and trotted deliberately out to the room and down the stairs. Magda had set the table in the breakfast room. It was far cozier than the great dining room, especially without her mother's company. And the maid was away. The breakfast room simplified serving as well. She tried valorously to eat what Magda supplied but the food failed to tempt her. It wasn't so much her physical condition, either. It was... She clenched her jaws firmly. Was the memory of Nicholas Devine to haunt her forever? Pat Lane, she said in admonition. You're a crack-brained fool. Just because a man kicks you all over the place is no reason to let him become an obsession. She drank her coffee, feeling the sting of its heat on her injured lips. She left the table, tramped firmly to her room, and began defiantly to read. The effort was useless. Half a dozen times she forced her attention to the page, only to find herself staring vaguely into space a moment or two later. She closed the book finally with an irritable bang, and vented her restlessness in pacing back and forth. "'This house is unbearable,' she snapped. "'I'm not going to stay shut up here like a jailbird in solitary confinement.' A walk in the open is what I need, and that's what I'll have. 
She glanced at the clock. 7.30. She tore off her robe pettishly, flung out of her pajamas, and began to dress with angry determination. She refused to think of a lonely figure that might even now be sitting disconsolately on a bench in the nearby park. She disguised her bruised cheek as best she could, dabbed a little powder on the abrasion on her chin, and tramped militantly down the stairs. She caught up her wrap, still lying where the doctor had tossed it last night, and moved toward the door, opening it and nearly colliding with the massive figure of Dr. Horker. "'Well,' boomed the doctor as she stared back in surprise, "'you're pretty spry for a patient. Think you were going out?' "'Yes,' said Pat defiantly. "'Not tonight, child.' I left the club early to take a look at you. I am perfectly all right. I want to go for a walk. No walk. Doctor's orders. I'm of legal age, she snapped. I want to go for a walk. Do I go? You do not. The doctor placed his great form squarely in the doorway. Not unless you can lick me, my girl, and I'm pretty tough. I put you to bed last night, and I can do as much tonight. Shall I? Pat backed into the hall. You don't have to, she said sullenly. I'm going there myself. She flung her wrap angrily to a chair and stalked up the stairs. Good night, Spitfire, he called after her. I'll read down here until your mother comes home. The girl stormed into her room in anger that she knew to be illogical. I won't be watched like a problem child, she told herself viciously. I know damn well what he thought, and I wasn't going to meet Nick. I wasn't at all. She calmed suddenly, sat on the edge of her bed, and kicked off her pumps. It had occurred to her that Nick had written his intention to wait for her in the park tomorrow night as well, and Dr. Horker's interference had confirmed her in a determination to meet him. End of chapter 13